0: Both products are available now at Advanced Auto Parts, AutoZone, and select Walmart locations. Visit 303radio.com for more information.
1: The difference between an agent and a Realtor is real. Realtors have the expertise to find exactly what you need and the ethics to do the right thing, even when it's the harder thing. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors. That's who we are.
0: And now, please welcome... Rob. It's time for the Bradford Files right now on wei.com.
1: Welcome to another edition of the trade deadline version of the Bradford Files. Since the one the other day did so well, I'm bringing back the exact same guest, which is Alex Spear. Alex, welcome back. Hello, Rob. So the trade deadline is upon us. We're even closer than we were a couple days ago. So what we're going to discuss today is who the Red Sox should sell. And who they will sell and who they cannot sell at the trade deadline. And I think that we're gonna cut through the the all the, the noise that is people yelling and screaming, you gotta trade this guy, you gotta trade that guy. I don't care if you have to get five cents on the dollar, I don't care what the future is. There is a reality that we have to live in in this trade deadline, it's the reality that the Red Sox are currently existing in
2: yeah I would say that that's certainly true. I mean, they've reached the point where they are a below five hundred team after what ninety nine games at this point, so in order to be able to be a playoff team, they would need to go on one of the better runs over the last roughly forty percent of the season that we've seen in the last decade uh the The likelihood is that that's not going to happen, and their moves have to reflect that, and that's not only with you know with kind of tempering the expectations of the type of players whom they can think about acquiring because they just can't put that much value on acquiring a guy uh, for 2012. Even if it's a two-year player like a Josh Johnson, 2012 just can't factor that much into how they weight uh, mm-hmm. the uh, the acquisition value of a guy. But they also have to start thinking about, are there assets that they have uh, that are going to be more valuable to them if they move them now rather than retaining them for the kind of pie-in-the-sky uh, playoff run? It's I guess I don't want to dismiss it as pie-in-the-sky, but they'd have to get really hot. They basically have to be the team that they were for four months last
1: year and not since. Right. And, and, and we also have to weigh in, and they're going to weigh this in as well, is that the value of trading a guy now, a guy in tra- value of trading a guy in the offseason, a value of trading the guy next trade deadline. There are those sort of guys too. So let's start right away with the big names um, that a lot of people say, hey, you know what, if you're going to blow it up, these are the guys who you want to start with. And we'll start with probably the biggest lightning rod, which is Josh Beckett. Uh, just talking to some major leagues. Yeah, he
2: has like a big kite with the key attached yeah. and the whole thing. Yeah. He wears the Ben Franklin yeah. glasses.
1: He, he has about five keys attached to that spring. <laughs> uh, but talking to some major league sources today, the, the Red Sox have fielded some calls on Josh Beckett, but nothing's close. It's kicking the tires. And one of the teams that you would think that might be a logical fit or a semi-logical fit. The Texas Rangers evidently do not have interest in Josh Beckett. Um, and and one of the reasons you have to line up the Texas Rangers with Beckett, or you had to, not only because they need pitching, but because at the end of the day, you have 10-5 right. And, and as the Atlanta Braves found out the other day with yeah. Ryan Dempster, you go through the entire process of finding the right fit for a trade And then the last piece of the puzzle is the 10-5 right. And it's a terrible situation for the team's trading. but that's how you have to do it. You cannot broach the 10-5 before you work out the deal.
2: And we're reminded a little bit of the situation with Manny Ramirez back in 2008 where the Red Sox basically got his consent in advance to sign off on pretty much any Mm -hmm. deal to get out of Boston. Uh, And so they were able to negotiate freely so long as they made that commitment to swallow the entirety of of his remaining salary for the 2008 season. Um, So there's, there's perhaps a comparison in that sense with Beckett simply because he doesn't have simply because he has the right to veto any deal. Um, At the same time, Beckett is in a very different place than was Manny in 2008. Just from the standpoint of overall value, we have to remember that when the Red Sox made their desperate, you know, desperate move to get rid of Manny in 2008, they got Jason Bay back. They got a guy who was an all-star back and Manny was on an expiring deal and had every incentive to go out and bust his tail to be and probably, you know, shoot himself full of who knows what uh, in order to be an amazing player. And in order to in order to cash in in free agency, Beckett has Beckett's locked up, man. He has two and a half years left, 17 million dollars a year. He has he's he went on the DL for shoulder inflammation and talked about the need to manage his shoulder in the short term to avoid a potentially career threatening situation. Uh, which may have just been hyperbole, but nonetheless, if you're a GM of another team, don't you look at that quote and freak out if you even think about calling the Red Sox about the guy? So, he is, wow, he is a really difficult guy to uh, to be able to move right now to the point where, you know, I think if you're the Red Sox, would you mind moving him in order to get greater salary flexibility, greater payroll flexibility, that sort of thing? Of course not. Like, he's someone who you visit uh, dealing, but, you know, but what are you going to get back for him? And, and If you're not going to get anything back for him, he remains a legitimate big league pitcher. He remains a serviceable starter, at least a mid-rotation guy. So, how are you going to get better if you
1: just dump him? Well, and it goes to what you said before about the likelihood of the Red Sox making the playoffs this year. If you're going under the notion that it's very unlikely that Red Sox are going to make the playoffs this year. So... What is the purpose of getting rid of Josh Beckett? Because people want to get rid of Josh Beckett because, oh, it's Josh Beckett. Yeah. And, and you have to turn over the, the culture and everything else like that, which is a discussion for another day. But is it? I mean, you know, because in the cases of Manny
2: and Nomar, those were two central trades in which they felt that they had to change the culture around the
1: team, right? No, but here's my point. Okay, y- you want to change the culture for, you want to take, you want to get 10 cents on the dollar. Because you want to change the culture right here and now for a team you don't think is going to be in the playoffs. Right. Is that a good business decision? No, it isn't. I'll answer the question. It is not a good business decision. And if you want to change the culture in the offseason, after perhaps Beckett does something. If you
2: can move up from $0.10 to $0.25 on the dollar. Exactly.
1: Exactly. So that makes more sense.
2: So to your mind, the distinguishing factor then in terms of the cultural change argument, right, is that – Right now, the Red Sox are in a different place than they were in 2004 and 2008, and so whereas they made those moves out of necessity, and let's also not forget they had viable replacements in both cases. They got Orlando Cabrera for, for when they dealt Nomar away. They got you know they got Jason Bay back when they moved uh, when they moved Ramirez. They a wouldn't uh, aren't necessarily in the same kind of contender position that they were in those two years. And B probably wouldn't get the same kind of return that they got. Yeah, when they dealt those what's guys.
1: what's the mo? You you have to tell me what the motivation is for cha- trading Josh Beckett right now, because of all the things that you said that you aren't going to get the value that you you should be getting back for Josh Beckett. Because we saw you look at his last start, his start against Texas. You know, it, it's not the Josh Beckett that every, anyone is used to. It's not the Josh Beckett that anyone wants because it's a different kind of pitcher. But still, it's it's a pitcher that can be effective in a rotation
2: and he would be a perfect guy for other teams to acquire if he were a rental if he were in the yes. last year of his contract yep. he would have significant trade value quite honestly because you know he's been he's kind of been this like wily pitcher who's adapted himself to being relatively effective for a lot of the season and people don't want to hear that people don't want to hear throughout the few bad starts but the reality is like he had that run of what six mm-hmm. straight starts in which he went 7 plus innings uh he had He's had some impressive stretches where even with this diminished fastball velocity and even with the shoulder concerns, he's been a good pitcher. So if he was just a rental, a team like Texas might be interested in him, but then you get into a whole different right. you know, ball do, of do wax. You,
1: do you want a middle rotation guy or perceived middle rotation guy for $17 million a year for the next two years? Right. And that's the problem. And who
2: might not even be that depending on which right. direction his shoulder but, goes But, you in.
1: know, in again, we I say this is a topic for another – day, and probably is because it's a more extensive topic, but the, the, the notion that, hey, you're changing the clubhouse culture. Um, you know, I had a scout yesterday for, for a low market team say, listen, if you gave me Josh Beckett on uh, at the value that we could have him, we would take him because we need that type of mentality in the mound, where I think that people saying, changing the clubhouse culture, we've talked about this. Is it, This isn't Manny. This is right. this, this isn't close to Manny, and and it is baffling to me. And I understand that people are, will pile on to my opinion about this, but it is it is one of the more baffling things to me that people are reporting. Hey, you know what? We don't want to take on Josh Beckett. We don't want to take on that clubhouse influence. The clubhouse influence with Josh Beckett isn't isn't necessarily that bad a thing. I mean, you've been in the clubhouse before. It's bad toward the media at times. Right. And but tell me when it's been bad other than last September with Terry Francona and there was clearly some butting in the heads there and Josh Peckett was absolutely at fault for that. Mm-hmm. But throughout this course of this year, Josh Peckett does his thing. He's consistent. Sometimes that consistency is a bad thing because he's hard headed. But this isn't Manny. And this isn't this isn't I can name some other guys in the Red Sox clubhouse too that are probably more concerns in that respect.
2: Yeah, it's interesting because I feel like Beckett. The the one thing that I'll say is that Beckett is a different clubhouse presence than he was a few years ago. You say that he's remarkably consistent, but I don't know that that's entirely the case. In that I really do feel like a few years ago he he really took a great deal of pride in the notion that he was the lead, he was the leader of right. the pitching well, staff.
1: I'll, I'll say this. I'll say this is that the the consistency is sometimes I guess is the hard-headedness. Yeah. And that's and that's that's the as we saw with the reaction to the golf stuff. Right. That can be a detriment. That's right. not necessarily the right path to go down. Um but yeah, no, I, and in in terms of leading the pitching staff, yeah, you know, I, that was the notion that this guy was going to lead the pitching Part staff. Part of the reason
2: why they gave him that 4-year $68 million deal. Uh, you are you're probably right though that we're getting into a into a giant giant. We should probably do a separate podcast Solely based on that. And if you give me another lunch, we should do it sometime. But yeah, I, I, but it, I hear... but,
1: it, but it enters into. I'm sorry to interrupt, but it's, it enters into the conversation that we were having about the trading of Josh sure. Beckett. And so, what I guess, do you
2: accomplish by trading him right
1: now? Right. And I guess what what we have to clarify here, and what I'm trying to clarify, is that that when teams are looking at Josh Beckett, despite all the noise about around here about the clubhouse influence and, and teams not wanting to trade because of that. It's not that. It is not it, it is the shoulder. It is the contract. It is what you're getting for the next two years. right. and and that is the reason. and it's in, and I don't I feel so we'll end the Josh Beckett conversation here because we've got other players to get to, but would you agree that those are the things.
2: best case scenario for the Red Sox is that he actually pitches really you know pretty well down the stretch and then that creates value for him in the trade market, much as it did for AJ Burnett. Well, although AJ Burnett didn't even pitch well down the stretch last off season, but it's a 20-year-old. good ana- it's a
1: good analogy, yeah. I think, it, because you do have to. If Larry Lucchino comes in and says, "Hey, you know what? Listen, this is not helping us sell tickets. Josh Beckham and this team not, is not helping us sell tickets." Then, whether the perception is right or not, the perception is going to enter into it, and that is going to motivate them at, in the off season,
2: right. So yes, I think that uh, I I concur with your assessment. I think that the off season is the time to revisit the the questions of culture. I don't think that this is necessarily the time where you have a, a simple fix to you know to what's you know really a complicated and, and complex uh, clubhouse situation. Um, I don't think that it's as easy as removing Nomar or removing Manny, and all of a sudden you have a team that's going to take off. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I agree with you. You know, to use the off season, have a more deliberate uh, wait for a. a the market to form, um, define it more precisely, and then you can consider what, what fixes are possible on that
1: front. And so we'll we'll go through. There's two more players I want to get to in terms of the, the, the big-name players in the Red sure. Sox who everyone said, hey, you know what, these are the guys. If you want to make a serious trade, these are the guys who are involved. And they're John Lester and Jacoby Ellsbury. And and, uh, am I missing someone? I mean, David Ortiz, we know, isn't going to get traded.
2: Right. And especially because he's injured, right? I mean, that's not even a consideration at this time for any other team. And Dustin Pedroia isn't going to get traded. Dustin Pedroia is not going to get traded. Although, you know, part of me at some point wonders whether or not if they get to the offseason having missed the playoffs for three straight years, whether, I mean, at that point, no one is sacred. No Hmm. one is sacred. And so, you know, I wonder, especially given that there have to be some health concerns both short and long-term about him and his ability to stay healthy, whether or not then they would start to entertain offers for anyone, including Pedroia. But, Short term, I don't see but, it happening.
1: But again, you look at with all these players, you look at what is it worth? Are they worth more to the team? In, in, right. In any trade, and Pedroia's contract's a manageable contract, sure. Um, for you know all the things he brings to the team performance, et
2: unquestionably.
1: So, um, but with John Laster.
2: I, I guess the other name that yeah. we should throw out as the as the big one is Adrian Gonzalez. But given that he has six and a half years left at twenty two well, million dollars he, per, he
1: falls on even though the production is. Dramatically different. He falls on the Kyle Crawford, which you have such an enormous contract. It's almost
2: you can't really move that with six and a half years left, no, half a year no. into it. These
1: are the guys that you built your foundation around. You're gonna have to live with it.
2: Yep. Um, but, and probably, th- and in all likelihood, they'll. You know, the, the likelihood is that they will benefit from living with it because it seems difficult to imagine that the Red Sox are locked into you know the next to through 2018 to this version of Adrian Gonzalez. It's.
1: Um, and so the next guy we're going to – or the guy we're going to go to is John Lester. And John Lester is an interesting guy because let's say on Saturday he goes out and pitches a one-hitter, and he becomes the old John Lester, the John Lester everyone expects him to see. So the next day I would suspect that there would be a lot of teams calling on John Lester. Mm-hmm. But it goes back to what is it, it – the value is more to the red side. If he shows that again, which I do believe the Red Sox think is going to come around the corner, and this is why probably they aren't putting – they aren't really open to training him, is that if he shows that again, that's the most important piece of the puzzle that you want to keep around.
2: Absolutely. You know, the Red Sox are very keenly aware of the difficulties of building a starting rotation. And they're very keenly aware of the fact that what you want is young, controllable guys, relatively inexpensive, who are capable of dominating – other teams would be looking to acquire Lester because they think he's capable of being that guy. The Red Sox probably need to retain him if they think there's any chance of him being that guy. If there's an injury, then maybe that's one thing. But if they think that it's just a small mechanical thing that needs to be corrected in order to have an elite American League pitcher, and let's not forget, he's had a couple of very good runs this year, even though it doesn't we, we forget that because the last few starts have been just awful. Uh, then you you can't deal that guy, especially because his his contract is currently still very favorable for the team. It's viewed even though he's going to start earning real money, quote unquote, uh next year. He's making 7.5 million per this year. It's going to bump up into
1: an eight-figure contract next yeah, year. Yeah, so it gets to uh 13, right? 13.4. Yeah, I I think 13,
2: but either way, it's still treated by Major League Baseball for determining the the whole, you know, the whole luxury tax threshold as a 5-year $30 million contract, meaning 6 million bucks for a potential Top of the rotation starter, mm-hmm. uh, you aren't going to find that on the open market because you can't just say get rid of a guy. You always have to say hmm. if you get rid of a guy, then what do you have back? And in the case of the Red Sox, if their hopes are of contending, uh, not just this year but even next, then you know you kind of need a guy like John Lester around in order to be able to accomplish that. Unless you're getting, yeah, unless you're getting back guys who are you know kind of ready to pop into well, the middle of a starting rotation in the big and, leagues, and, who would give that up? Yeah,
1: and that's the thing is that even with Beckett, and, and the Beckett and Lester argument has always been, is, okay, okay, you want to trade these guys? Okay, who's going to be the top of the rotation for your, for your team? And hey, you know what? Maybe Dubron steps up. Maybe Franklin Morales becomes the guy that he was for a month uh, for the rest of his career. But those guys, have we said time and time again, are the hardest things to get, especially for the numbers that you just mentioned against the luxury tax and just in general.
2: Cole Hamels is off the market. Cole Hamels and John Lester were kind of in comparable career situations mm-hmm. until this year. Cole Hamels just signed, what, a six-year $144 million it, deal to stay with the Phillies? Well,
1: you know, as soon as Matt Cain signs, yeah. you know, the first thing they did was, hey, let's write the, how this the, Matt Cain contract affects John Lester. Yeah. And we have to remember that. So, so, and So if he doesn't pitch well – it's it just doesn't add up because if he does pitch well on Saturday, then you have teams calling and but the Red Sox understand all the things that you just said. This is a valuable valuable guy, but if he if he doesn't pitch well and he keeps going down this road, then they'll be getting the calls. Well, oh, we'll take John Lester off your hands, which is is ridiculous if you're the Red Sox. You can't
2: sell low on a guy like that because if you're going to trade him, it has to be for an insane package of players. You know, you have to be getting elite elite guys. We're going to be. Team anchors for years to come. Uh, you don't want to be selling that guy at twenty five cents on the dollar.
1: Jacoby Ellsbury is a guy, another guy who falls under the right now. His value, if you trade him, isn't what it's going to be potentially in the off season. His value, Jacoby Ellsbury's trade value, is from the Red Sox point of view, is going to be in the off season or not at all. Correct.
2: I agree with that. Couple reasons. Uh, number one, because you have the whole uh, alterations to the draft pick compensation rules. So if you were to trade him now, then a team acquiring him would know that it could get a draft pick. Uh, if you trade him in the off season, the same is true. If you trade him in the middle of next season, then the team that acquires him can't get a draft pick um, because you can't change teams in the middle of the season and still result in a draft pick. Uh, if you leave as a free agent. So uh, his trade value diminishes significantly in the middle of next season versus either the offseason or now. But number two, uh, he's performing as a guy who's coming off of an injury, and so he doesn't have the huge MVP caliber numbers that he put up a year ago. Uh, so from that standpoint, his value has diminished significantly over what it was at any point in you know in last offseason, at any point in 2011. Number three, uh, one, one thing that's been told to me before is that Um, the best time to deal position players is always going to be in the off season. The best time to deal pitchers is always going to be in season. The reason being that every team that's in contention needs more pitching, but every team that's in contention does not have the same positional needs. Whereas in the off season teams can figure out ways of accommodating just about any position. They can move guys around the diamond, do whatever they have to in order to clear a roster spot for elite talent. So, Really, Ellsbury, you wait to see if he's going to perform at a very high level uh, down the stretch to restore his value, kind of remind people of the 2011 version. And then if you market him, and I don't know that you do, but if you market him, then it, the offseason would be the time to do so.
1: Yeah, I think that sums it up right there. The fact is Ellsbury almost falls under the Ortiz thing in terms of the here and the now, what you're going to do with a guy, just the value for the Red Sox. Isn't what it's going to be. It 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 just isn't great enough to trade him. Um,
2: Well, and where do you get an everyday center fielder to replace him? No, yeah. Well,
1: I mean the guy in in the guy that we we referenced the last podcast, Jackie Bradley Jr. The track is hey, Jackie Bradley Jr. goes through next year. Yeah, Jacoby Ellsbury walks. There's your guy. Right. And and but. That's a whole nother year. That's a year and a half away.
2: Right. So, can you make do with Ryan Kalish as your guy for next year? And I, I don't know that you can. I don't know that you can trust that. He showed some impressive things, but, you know, that's that that would be a bit of a well, leap of faith.
1: Well, if, if nothing else, we've seen the juggling act they had with the leadoff spot, right? With a leadoff spot in the order. And I know that that isn't the be all end all, but it's something to factor in. And, and you know, there isn't the logical leadoff hitter on this team as much as. Is is Bobby Valentine won't put Daniel Nava there and Michael Vilas, but it was always kind of a forced issue, and Jacoby Ellsbury is no forced issue.
2: And their center field production was basically among the worst teams in the American League while Ellsbury was injured for those couple of months. So you know, there's there's a lot of arguments against trading that guy, whether now or even in the off season.
1: So we've gone through the the big names, yeah. and we've identified why this why you just. It doesn't behoove the Red Sox to trade these guys, and and so we'll go to the guys who might be legitimate trade pieces, although they aren't going to get the kind of return that I think people want. Um, but they're legitimate trade pieces. Let's start with Cody Ross. You know, I think that they're of all the guys on this team, probably this this is the guy that probably is going to have the most legitimate interest. And but the problem with the Red Sox is that. Are you going to be able to get back anything, uh, anything of the significant value that you say, hey, you know what, it's, it's worth us for to trade Cody Ross for a player we think might help us somewhere down the road when he can still be part of this team, it's still ingrained in the clubhouse, and we can still talk about a contract going forward? It's a
2: tough one to walk away from Cody Ross because there are guys who you can deal on the major league roster and still make the case. No, no, we had, you know, he was replaceable. Mm -hmm. Cody Ross, you don't have that case. He's been their second best hitter this season behind only David Ortiz. Uh, He's been one of the top, you know, recently, I know that it's, it's tailed off a little bit in recent days, but as of about a week ago, he was one of the top five uh, outfielders in all of the American league in terms of OPS. I mean, he was essentially performing when healthy at a nearly all-star caliber level, so, if you, if you trade Cody Ross, then you're basically waving the white flag. Yeah,
1: you're, yeah, that's the one guy. You, you hear tomorrow they trade Cody Ross, you can say they're selling.
2: Right. And, you know, with Cody Ross, there is, there is impetus to trade him, right? Because he's a guy who's only under control. He's, he's a free agent after this season. They only have him under control at this incredibly favorable contract. For this one year at three million bucks, and then he gets which the which makes market. him even more valuable. Makes him teams. really valuable yeah. to other teams, unquestionably, because he can produce. He's cheap. He's not. He, he's not unlike Beckett. He's not a guy who weighs down your payroll mm-hmm. for the longer term. Uh, but you know, can the Red Sox walk away from one of their centerpiece guys, a, a, a significant clubhouse presence for them, uh, someone who is? Uh, you know, someone who's become, in some ways, the smiling face of, uh, <laughs> of, uh, of the Red Sox well, you for know, much it's, of the season. It is
1: funny you mention that, but you, you, you have that one day where he hits the walk-off home run. And, and I was on the radio the next morning. And Cody Ross was the most popular Athlete in Boston that day.
2: I bet he was trending like crazy on trendy. Twitter. He
1: was hashtag or he trended at his sign ass off. I, <laughs> and we all aspire to trend our ass off. Really that hasn't really worked out for me. But trend mill, no, you will. Yes. But but I am hashtag or or at sign I am Cody Ross was was probably as popular as any Boston athlete from the hours of 6 a.m. to 10 a.m. It was a good run. It was a good run. But a part of that was hey, you know what? You, you produced, but people like the way what he represents. People and he doesn't cost a lot. He's not the, the one of the guys who were here last year. He's the guy that people say, "Hey, you know what? You're turning over the mentality of the team, and also you're producing. You're everything that all these other guys. It's all aren't.
2: the checklists. Probably wants to stay in Boston too. I mean, you've talked about yeah. it, this with him, right? He's open to staying in. Boston. I think uh, he's very
1: open. I think he wants does want to stay in Boston, but if you keep producing. And then you get into the free agent market. It becomes a tricky thing. But the one thing I will say that about Cody Ross is I do think that the, the experience in the free agent market last year, even if he comes away with a good year this year has, has kind of made him a little wary of it because, you know, he had value last year and then what happens? He has to wait until January to, to sign with somebody. And that's, that's not something that I think he wants to go through again.
2: So to your mind, is he a guy who you sell? I mean he's a guy who you can sell this year and get very good value for him in the market presumably
1: yeah, without if you can get a legitimate if you can get a legitimate guy, if you are where you are, if you don't sweep the Yankees or, or whatever you feel like you, position you are heading in the trade deadline that you think you're in or you're out of it then if you can get a legitimate guy that you think is going to be on your major league roster the next couple of years and be a, a contributing factor, then, yeah, I think you probably do trade him. Um, but, but that has to be probably a value that you aren't going to get back from in my mind. Yeah, I think the, 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 more, the bigger value is if you aren't going to get that guy, the bigger value is you talk to Cody Ross because if you are able to sign him, and we've talked about this before, of how valuable he can be, for this team, and I'm not talking about because how many home runs he has this year, but how many valuable he can be in terms of getting these other players to the major leagues, mm-hmm. and and so if you are able to sign him because he's staying here, then you do that.
2: Yeah, I I think that he's. I just think that the Red Sox are not in a position where they can sell right now. I think that he's kind of the guy who you might reconsider uh, as a waiver as a waiver move in uh, sometime in August, especially in late August, and obviously you know, you would, some team is going to claim him pretty right. early in the process. Uh, so you would have to be okay with, uh, with, with the fact that you would only be negotiating with one team. But uh, nonetheless, to, to my mind, he's just, you know, if you want, if you want to go through the, if you want to say that you're still committed to contending this year, then you can't deal him.
1: So we're going to go through. So the last question I'll ask you, instead of going through every, there's other guys on this roster who you could say, hey, you need, the teams would want you trade and, and, you get some sort of player back. Um, there's you know, Aaron Cook, Matt Albers, you know, even Franklin Morales, uh, Chopik, even you know, potentially even Sal um Go down the list. There's guys, Mike Aviles. Yep. Um, but I'll ask you, what is one guy you think that is is very tradable from their perspective that you could get something back that would make it worthwhile?
2: To my mind, and I don't really know why we haven't heard more buzz about him, but to my mind, Aaron Cook is the guy who makes the most sense to deal in many respects because from my vantage point, Franklin Morales was spectacular when he was in the rotation, and I'd want to see a lot more of that because he's a guy who you potentially have under control not just for this season, but through 2014, and if he can show you swing and miss stuff while competing in the AL East, then uh, you, you can, you know, that's as we talked about a little bit earlier, That's a huge addition uh, to your staff. At the same time, Cook has been pitching really well. This has been the best sinker that he's had really since he was an all-star in Colorado. I mean, he's doing insane things. The fact that he's been, that he has what, like a 3.5 ERA at a time when he has three strikeouts in 36 innings. (laughs) I mean, it's becoming an ongoing joke for him and for members of the Red Sox that he's been able to do this. But it's because his sinker has been amazing. And if you watch him pitch, then if you're a contender that needs pitching help, and that maybe doesn't want to, and, and that hasn't acquired a Ryan Dempster or, you know, someone someone of that ilk, then don't you look at that guy and say, he can help us? And if you're the Red Sox, you only have him under control for this year. He's a free agent after this year. He's pitching well enough that he's probably going to go somewhere else unless you want to commit to him with multiple years. Uh, and I don't, I don't get the sense that there's been, you know, that that is really happening. Uh, and so if, to my mind, he's a very tradable asset, he, he's one of those tradable assets that you're able to make the case. We're actually going to see if we can't get better. And, you know, we respect what Aaron Cook has done, but Franklin Morales is mm-hmm. too intriguing. We have to find that spot for him. The only thing that it risks is the Red Sox could, you know, the, the Red Sox could have a depth problem in the rotation because you have the concerns about Beckett's shoulder. You wonder whether or not Felix Dubron may hit an innings limit or wall or something along those lines. But for now... You know, you would have five guys in the rotation with Morales potentially representing an upgrade in terms of stuff over Cook.
1: I, I agree with everything you said, and and but I think there's two things. There's two things that are very, very important. You touched on both, but I'll reemphasize them. The Franklin Morales, you have to, in the last two months, I don't care how you do it, you have to find out what he is as a starter and whether that's moves some out of rotation, whether it's a six-man rotation, which is probably going to happen, You've got to find out what this guy can do. And so I think that that has to be a priority. And if Cook is involved in that equation, great. But the reason why they are going to be sheepish about training Cook or might be sheepish about training Cook is because of this paranoia about starting depth. There is no, there is no bigger paranoia in, the, in a major league baseball front office than getting, having, basically having what happened to him last year, where you're relying on Kyle Weiland – to to get you through September, so so even though you have Daisuke sitting there, even though you have Franklin Morales in the bullpen, there still is that thinking in baseball that it can change in a hurry, and we've seen it change in a hurry a lot. But I will say this: it's two months, two months out. It's it's is it a risk worth taking of having one less arm to get that kind of value? I agree. I think that it is. I certainly think it is because I do think you are selling high on Aaron Cook. As good as he feels, as much as productive as he's been, still you're selling very high on Aaron Cook right now.
2: Yeah, him and uh, and Choppick because I think that you and I have talked about this a little bit. Shopik is having an extraordinary season. I mean, what he's been doing as a as a part time catcher, you know, an OPS of better than 900, an, o- an on base percentage of 366, power, really good defensive skills. I think that you know his catch and throw blocking skills, all of that. Like you understand why he was the Johnny bench award winner coming out of college, uh, all of those eons ago. But, uh, those two guys, you're capable of selling high. They're probably not in the team's long-term future. They're both replaceable because you have Morales who you need to get into the rotation to see what he can do over a longer haul for cook. You have Ryan LaVarnway who you probably need to get some more major league time to sitting in the minors. And, again, that's a position of vulnerability. If you have one injury to Jared Saltolamquia or LaVarnway, mm-hmm. you're kind of screwed. But you still kind of have to take that chance, well, again, to my mind, with you, either of
1: those you guys. You reach the point is two months. Sometimes, I think they've done a really good job of establishing depth. I mean, the reason that they are where they are isn't because of their lack of depth. It's because, they would be
2: screwed if they didn't have depth. They no, would be like 15 games under oh, if they I, hadn't had I, yeah. the reinforcements that, they have, that they've gotten from Pawtucket and from... Well, really, from Pawtucket, and even going outside the organization for the Zedniks
1: of the world. Run office report card identifying foundation guys who are going to produce this year. F, are very very poor, <laughs> and 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 but establishing depth, which is very hard to do, and, and probably more hard to do than than having foundation guys because you know usually know those guys are going to be good and reliable. You would think. Yeah, you would think uh, they they have a very good grade in that. So. So, but yeah, I, I do. I think that you've reached the last couple months here, and you, you kind of have to say, hey, you know what? We're willing to take a chance with some depth. And last year, it wasn't taking that chance with depth. That's not what burned him, it, was, it wasn't having the depth to begin with. That's why you're going on the, the trade deadline market, and you're saying, hey, we need a guy who could potentially pitch in a playoff game. And so we're going to go get Eric Bedard.
2: Right, exactly, and yeah, the position that they were, in, and that was when they, they could afford to go after a pure rental, and they gave up four minor leaguers for someone who was purely a rental. Obviously, the decision making environment that they faced then was drastically different than the one that they face now. Uh, you know, with the exception of you wonder whether or not uh, whether or not the health concerns uh, that they had about Clay Buchholz and that they were kind of trying to sweep under the rug as much as possible loom for other members of the who are currently in the rotation. Mostly Beckett, I would mm-hmm. say, because of the shoulder. But, uh, yeah, uh, th- that was a, you know, if you can use a Bedard-like guy, if you can get the, the Bedard package for Cook, mm-hmm. for instance, you know, and just mm-hmm. get, get a couple of prospects who look like they might be able to impact you in a couple of years, put it another way, 1997, you know, we, we all remember that Jason Veritek and Derek Lowe came for Heathcliff Slocum. An incredible trade. That's a franchise trading, uh, changing trade that you never that you never get. But the other one that was really significant that year was dumping Mike Stanley, sending him off to the Yankees, getting Tony Armas Jr. back, and then using Tony Armas Jr. as inventory that you could involve in the Pedro Martinez trade. You know, that's if you can do that. If you can get that B level prospect, so that you can increase, you know, so that you can really start to think about an off season move of significance. That's something.
1: So I think we've covered all the bases, and, and, and with all that being said, that they'll probably do something that we didn't expect because that's the way the trade deadline works. But, I, but there is an importance of, of passing along some reality to the situation because people are dealing in emotion right now, and I totally understand that. You understand it. Um, but the Red Sox are in a very, very unique situation.
2: A difficult one, a difficult one, both for the short term and the long term, because they have a lot of guys who are, you know, they have a hundred million dollars tied up for next season in, uh, in long-term contract guys that isn't even factoring in guys like Ellsbury guys like Ortiz. So they're, they're in a a little bit of a, uh, they're in a little bit of an interesting long-term bind. And, uh, you know, if you're able to move guys who aren't going to be able to be long-term assets and create value from them, then. That's that's kind of the situation that the organization is probably in, especially if it doesn't completely compromise this kind of long shot that they have of contention for this year.
1: The next podcast you should be listening to, baseball-related, will be the one at on 8.30 in the morning on Sunday morning. It's not technically a podcast, but down on the farm, W-E-E-I. So I encourage everyone to listen to that and then listen to the rest of those interviews. Who is who this week? Who is this this
2: week? week we have a couple of guys uh, talking about uh, talking in, in the – on the theme of the trade deadline, uh, I check in with Lars Anderson one year after he was basically dealt to the A's just about the, the human, the the human component of being traded and what it is to have to deal with that kind of reality of, uh, of uncertainty for prospects at the trade deadline. And then I also have, uh, have Kevin Goldstein on uh, from baseball prospectus and ESPN. And one of the, one of the great prospect gurus who's out there talking about the, the value of, of various guys in the Red Sox organization and, he has a, a ton of interesting uh, insights into, uh, into who's valuable among the
1: Red Sox prospects. Well, trade deadlines lend themselves to podcasts, excellent podcasts, which I think we've proven once again, Alex. So uh, with the eye on punctuating this pitch once again, I thank you for coming in. I will go buy you lunch right now.
2: My stomach is grumbling, literally. I will, I will I'm not bu- sure if you can hear it. I will buy you
1: two lunches <laughs> and, uh, and maybe a third just for the next one. But uh, thank you, and um, so we'll be back perhaps after the trade deadline with another edition of the Bradford Files. And, Alex, you are once again welcome back anytime.
0: I bid you good day. Keep your car looking its absolute best year-round with 303 Cleaners and Protectants. 303's revolutionary graphene nanospray coating gives you professional protection in a simple, easy-to-use formula. It will keep your car's paint protected for up to 12 months Both products are available now at Advanced Auto Parts, AutoZone, and select Walmart locations. Visit 303radio.com for more information.
1: The difference between an agent and a Realtor is real. Realtors have the expertise to find exactly what you need and the ethics to do the right thing, even when it's the harder thing. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors. That's who we are. We are.
2: I'm Matt Spiegel, and I'm the host of the brand new podcast, Beat the Streak Daily. Every weekday this Major League season, I will update the state of Beat the Streak. The rules are simple. Each day, pick one or two players you think will get a hit. And if they do, your streak continues. Sounds doable, right? But so far, it's been impossible to win. And with millions of dollars on the line, no one has ever gotten to 56. Subscribe now to Beat the Streak
0: Daily, wherever you get your podcasts, and play Beat the Streak for your chance to win $5.6 million.